as the crow flies on the Vance Crow Podcast. Jared McDaniel, welcome to the podcast. How's it going, Vance? It's uh, it's interesting. You and I have known each other for a long time. We've done uh, a trip all the way up to uh, Alberta, Canada, where we saw the Agribition, and we did a podcast together there. But I've never actually had to s- a time to sit down and interview you. You are an Oklahoma cattle rancher. You live out in the panhandle, way the hell away from people. You've got a bunch of kids and a wife, and uh, you live in uh, rural America, and... Uh, you are a very interesting guy. You have a podcast that I think is probably the um, maybe cleanest and simplest in terms of you don't put on any political spin on stuff. You've got to sit there. You have to know the industry, but you open it right up and you talk about things that are um, in an uncensored way, things that people don't often talk about. And uh, a lot of people listen to you and a lot of people don't agree with you, but they sure want to know what you have to say. So. <laughs> My audience isn't necessarily that same cattle, hard scrabbling farmers. I know I've got a lot of ag there, but there are a lot of people that are listening there in all different kinds of industries from all over the country. So why don't you give me a rundown? What is coronavirus in April, on April 1st of 2020 in Texahoma, Oklahoma? What is going on for a guy like you? It's pretty much life as, as normal in terms of like work and what we do on a daily basis. I mean, now we have the kids home. Everybody's kind of in the same boat with that. So, and it's really kind of cool. It's, it seems like life has gotten more simple. We're all, you know, at home doing stuff together. It's, it's really a kind of a cool transition that has almost kind of evolved through all this. So, I mean, normal everyday life for me is getting up, you know, feeding cattle, getting ready to plant corn probably in about a month or so. So we we're just all in prepping, getting ready, going to going to town, just working on that. And when you say we're going to go plant corn, talk about what that it looks like in today's day and age, modern age. What is it like to go out and plant corn? Okay, well, before you plant, you've got to get the ground ready, and I'll I'll strip till. So that basically involves one pass with the tractor, actually creating little strips that we're going to plant onto, which will band fertilizer in the actual strip with. Then we will sometimes put down a chemical as a barrier to weeds and then incorporate that with water, kind of pre-water, get everything settled in, ready to go. And then we actually plant. So that's we put the tractor with the planter in the field and basically go one pass across and then probably spray again. And then we're ready to go. And then what are you planting when you're doing that? You're taking seeds that you you made last year. Obviously, I know that's not how you do it, but mm-hmm. but a lot of people don't understand where do you even get seeds to plant? You bet, you bet. No, it comes. They comes from uh, most seed companies. You pioneer. Uh, there's oh, Bayer who has all DeKalb, Monsanto Channel, or not Monsanto, but anyway, just seed companies basically generate the hybrid seeds, and we buy them and go plant those. And uh, and then you also buy chemicals and things like that every single year. Or how do you do that? Yeah. Yeah, typically I buy chemicals from our local warehouse or, you know, if they don't have something, you can find it online. You can pretty easily find chemicals and and inputs now. But, you know, for the most part, we're fortunate to have good local solid supply. So all that stuff is basically on hand for the season. So I think we're pretty good with that, you know, as far as actual inputs that are in the field. So that was my exact point. I've been hammering on you. So full disclosure, Jared and I talk with a couple other friends 
all the time throughout the day we're texting back and forth with one another and uh today when you and i talked i was a little uh worked up because i have concerns about how are the farmers going to make sure that covid19 doesn't knock them out from actually farming and you seem totally cool about this but I was talking with my buddy Brian Scott, and he was like, I don't have a plan if I get sick. I don't I don't have a backup plan for planting these acres. I probably ought to get one. But mm-hmm. do you have one? Are you worried about that? Uh, yeah, the plan A, don't die. That's kind of like the first thing. <laughs> you know, I there's, a, there's another guy that works with me, and, uh, you know, between the two of us, we're kind of splitting our odds that we can get it done. And then, of course, you know, I do have a wonderful wife and a large family that, you know, strapping kids that they know how to run and and take care of cattle so you know if we had to that we've got a several several able bodies willing to step in and do work how old are your kids that they could handle cattle oh 15 and 16 year olds easy i mean no that's that's not a problem and as a dad you're like confident they can get in there even if i'm not there i don't you know like what do you what do you mm -hmm. think about your kids interacting with your livestock and i that's that's why i have all these years prior to this, we've had them in the in the facilities working animals with us. You know, they are left to go handle whenever it's time to sort, when it's time to bring them up. You know, they can vaccinate, they can work cattle, they can sort, they can gather. You know, anything any able-bodied grown man or woman could do, they can function to do it. Now, they're still going to make mistakes, but that's part of the learning process. And in and, and times like this, they're expected to step up and do do what's necessary, too. I mean, it's it's not fun, but they also understand that that's, this is a life we have. And, and especially now that they're at home, that's something that, that takes place. And even younger kids can do it, you know, or, or ones that are in. How the, old did you start your yeah. kids doing this kind of stuff? Oh, when they're young, they go with us, you know, like when you're driving out working, you have something that maybe they can ride along or they ride in a tractor. They're always there kind of observing, but the actual hands-on Usually about 10, 11, 12 is kind of when they start to get like where they can build some fence or do things with their hands or, you know, there's no point in getting the young kid hurt. They need to understand how, how to take a fall or something along that nature. You know, they have to be old enough to, to get the hell out of the way so they don't get hurt. You know, you really do have a different existence right now than people living in the city and not just because of the work that you do, but also I think there are a lot of people living in the city right now that, uh, they are they are 100% responsible for their kids. They're not turning any of the responsibilities over to the kids to be able to help the family survive this challenge. Do you know what I mean? Like the experience of the mm-hmm. parent is, I mean, you're trying to provide for your kids, right? But of course you've got a fallback there where your kids could be asked, Hey, your mom, you know, isn't feeling well and is going to be out for 20 days. You got to step up and take care of these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, they would totally be able to do it. I mean, and, and, and the thing is, the older ones can take the younger ones and teach them, and, and it's a continual learning experience. And honestly, one of the neat things is since we've been kind of, you know, on nature's lockdown or whatever you, whatever the hell you want to call it, ever since we've been on that, the, nobody's the calling it nature's of, lockdown. You you made that sound like that was just that's what everybody they calls it. But um, no, the the thing is, is I do think that it it provides a great real world learning laboratory because we have the kids out doing things now and they're learning at a more exponential pace. I mean, before they're learning stuff in books, it's really cool to think about. They're actually getting more good out of every day's ritual and learning at home than they did probably 
sitting there waiting to take some test to determine that they've actually you know learned something or not throughout the year it's it's kind of funny when you think of how we're approaching education to people really now that now that and i think that will change i think as as parents that have had a good relationship with their kids and have the time while they're at home they, they may be you know crushed under other deadlines but if you had the chance to spend some of this time at home with your kids focused on their education and you got along well with your kids, you watch them take off. My brother, Dan, you know, Dan, his mm-hmm. son, Oliver, I mean, he couldn't have a better teacher than Dan because Dan knows all his tricks. So all the things yeah. that that kid would have done to try and get away with stuff, Dan knows how to handle that and also mm-hmm. how to motivate him and how to get him going. I, I just think that the ag lifestyle, that culture part of it is a huge difference between parents living in the country and parents living in the city. It's why I'm so interested in hearing hearing how you and Julie have taken care of homeschooling now that COVID's going on. What, do, what are you guys doing day in and day out? Uh, well, you know, just like everybody else, the first couple of weeks are kind of like, oh, this is happening and we're here and we're hanging out and it's kind of, you know, a new adventure, but there's not a lot of structure. Then you start to get a little bit down the road and you're like, all right, well, we have this time. Let's make good use of it. Let's not you know, piss it away on, on just sit, sitting there staring at screens. There's, there's other things that we can accomplish right now. And we start, you know, we really have no clue how to do it. So the best way to learn is just by doing. So they made a schedule. I think it was art, math, reading, uh, see what else recess, you know, PE, any kind of physical thing outside. And then we have shooting, which is really cool because we've had the kids little BB guns and 22s, depending on their age. You know, the little ones aren't ready for a 22 yet, but it's just been really cool. Every day you go out and take a paper plate and you just shoot 10 rounds into it. And it's it's a little competition I look forward to every day. But it's also teaching them the skill of marksmanship and firearm safety. You can, you know, you're raising your kids because you don't know what world they're going to be in, but they damn well better be ready. So that's uh Man, I I think that people probably hear what you're describing. And although they don't understand naturally the amount of work that you have to do, I think there are a lot of people that wish they had an opportunity, the kind of freedom to be able to walk out into their backyard and and do shooting lessons with their kids. You could BB guns. You could shoot them all day long. They don't make any noise. You could do that. You could do that today. I mean, they could probably buy them online and put a paper plate 10 feet away and just or pellet guns. You know, find a piece of plywood. That's all you need. You know, you can even shoot it in your living room unless you're just a really shitty shot. And then you probably like break a TV or something. So how much of the the guns and ammunition and things that you have at your house do you have there for uh, protection of yourself and your family? Basically all of them. Or, you know, if, if we had to hunt for food. That would be another use for them. But no, basically all the guns. I mean, it's 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 not like you can only use these guns for home defense. They're kind of all for uh, for that. And, and also we use them, you know, pretty actively for, you know, we have coyotes or stray dogs that will wander into the yard. People t- typically don't know have this, but out in the country, people that are tired of dealing with animals will just drive and open and dump them. And then, well, those animals will show up at farmhouses. You know, you don't know who this dog is, where it comes from, but yet sometimes you have to deal with a strange dog that maybe hasn't eaten or, you know, it may be crazy. It may be friendly. Sometimes you have to dispatch a dog and firearms are very handy for that. So, 
Yeah, you wouldn't want to be in a situation where you didn't have one in that case. Yeah, I mean, that those are just real-world things. Snakes, you know, snakes are always around in the summer. You need to be able to shoot a rattlesnake if you see one. There's there's numerous things that, that we actually have practical daily use for guns. And pretty much everybody, even before this, everybody always carried firearms. It wasn't like a... You know, this isn't some change of pace in our world. Now, I understand like other places that may seem different or radical, but that's that's pretty much how everybody exists. It's it is a, a very much a culture of self-reliance. You know, you you look out for your neighbor, but first and foremost, you look out for yourself and your family. So you take covid seriously. I know that because, uh, you know, when you talked about going to Walmart to pick up some bikes for your kids, you you did gloves, right? Mm hmm. So yeah, tell me about what you what what do you think of this disease? What is it? How do you think it works? How dangerous is it? What are your thoughts on it spreading? Uh, you know, just like anything, you see it go like wildfire in the news and you watch all this stuff and how it moves. It, that's very it's hard to ignore. You can't you can't say this isn't real. I mean, part part of me wants to believe that, you know, this is just a dream you wake up from, but that's slowly fading as every day goes on, but for the most part, I think it's more of a – it's kind of a fascination with how everything is going, how, how the society is reacting to it. I'm really puzzled and kind of enamored with just society rebuilding itself because it has to, not because it wants to, which is something entirely different that I've ever experienced in my lifetime. You know, you one, know of the, so, uh, one of the uh, people I'm going to have on tomorrow for the podcast is a guy that runs an HVAC company. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I want to know, how are people treating the people that are going in and fixing your heating and cooling and your plumbing and your electrical in your house when everybody mm -hmm. thinks that a stranger is full of toxic chemicals? So you yeah. need this person to come to your house. And yet you're like, I don't know, they might spread this terrible disease to my wife or my kids or my in-laws, you know, like whatever. And you just, uh, so you you spray them with Lysol and when they come in, you just house <laughs> them in that. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you could take extreme measures and, and there are, there reaches a point you have to realize that we are existing in this, in this reality. Now I'm many groceries and I may think like Walmart is, is the pit of whatever thing that is, is going on just because of interaction. And it's like a, you know, a staple place, but you can shut down that insecurity of, of, dying or whatever and just go get shit done you know go take care of it wear gloves be safe wash your damn hands do all this stuff that's practical and in in reality is very easy to do and protect yourself and protect your family keep your you know don't have your don't have your people all running out and playing with each other just stay away for a little bit i mean in animals and you see this in nature even a, a sick one will will tend to isolate itself and I'm sure that's some kind of evolutionary thing that, you know, hey, get the sick one out of the herd so we don't just infect everybody. And and animals also have, you know, undergone years and years of vaccines to keep them from sick because they gather in a herd. I mean, you look long term at this and you I think you could actually see how you have kind of the the nucleus of cities is almost the perfect breeding ground for this. And I'm not saying it's right wrong or anything that people live in cities i'm just saying that's a fact that any kind of concentrated human gathering is just perfect place for this to happen and fortunately like where we live it's very wide open and actually very sparsely populated and ironically has been kind of dying a slow disease of its own of just economics you know substance 
So there's there's a whole yeah like weird right now you are in your own podcasting studio, which is actually a building that you own mm-hmm. in your downtown, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it, it was been a I think when I was a kid it was a video rental store. Uh, it's been several things over the years. Uh, a friend of mine had it. He owned a trucking business, and then he he built another office, and so I bought this from him, and then turned it into what it is now. But yeah, I mean, real estate is so cheap. It's if it hasn't imploded on itself and collapsed in a downtown, you can pretty much probably offer someone ten bucks a month or something. You know, some ridiculously low amount. You could probably rent any building in any downtown. Because now, the other, the otherwise, the value is zero dollars. Exactly, exactly. No one wants to be the guy who rents for nothing. But the, so, the fact is, is that there's there's tons of real estate out here. It'd be interesting to see if someone from a city doesn't see that and say. Why don't I just go buy a building in in small town rural America and live in a building? It's totally doable, and and it's and it's probably a wild investment idea that people haven't capitalized on yet because it's still every downtown in every small town of America has at least five to ten buildings well, wide open. Th- th- so going back to your kind of example where cities are the petri dish, right? This is where things are going to mm-hmm. end up coming up. And I have a friend. I don't know. They'd want to be connected with this quote, but they refer to cities as CAFOs. Right, the confined. Yeah. What what is that? What does even a CAFO stand for? Confined animal uh, feeding operation. Yeah, confined animal feeding operation. Which, now, like, yeah, to I, to a rancher, that's a fine word. Fine, CAFOs are fine. Mm-hmm. But to people living in the city, to say, hey, did you know you're living in a CAFO? They they would be upset about that, man. They would not want to think about the fact that they're stacked on top of each other, being fed well, I, from I, from I, the countryside. <laughs> I don't mean to – I'm not saying this degrading. I don't think it's a bad thing, but they're feedlots. I mean essentially people exist in those areas, and it's very concentrated. It's very efficient. I mean this is one thing that I think is going to be phenomenal to watch going forward is is these new efficiencies that are going to come out where you're going to see maybe some real badass stuff like you'll get maybe a complete database of cattle producers across the United States, and then you could then take – that go with it and then anybody who was interested in buying directly from a rancher you could go to them we could bypass the whole old market of we take it to slaughter slaughter takes to processing you know like the whole roundabout way we could bypass that dude okay and this is how to to do this we you and i have been talking about this for a year at this point like i've been saying jared what does it take for me to get a cattle like a cow from you i want to slaughter it i'll put it i'll get a freezer i'll put it in there and you're like yeah. Man, you don't even understand how hard that is. I have hundreds and hundreds of cattle. They're all over my property, my hundreds of acres. But to get them slaughtered and sent to you is really difficult. And I was like, man, not only would I pay money for that, a lot of people I know would pay money for that. And then well, we I can get that's... around this country of origin labeling argument that you guys are always into. Just let me buy from my farmer. Well, there's the deal. I think that that's where we're going because – how how much more concerned are people about their food security now? What do what what do you think? Do you think people are more jacked up about not necessarily not where it everybody? Comes from, but just I, I, no, like so, I am keyed up on it on to the point of probably going over the edge, right? Like I'm I'm yeah. probably a little bit, but I can tell you that right now I could call up fifty people with no problem and sell them a half a cow if they had the freezer space for it. I could do it and I could do it for 10x, whatever the grocery, I don't know, 10x, 5x, whatever you're getting at the grocery store because people want it and they want it now and they don't want to have to go to the grocery store. But the reason we can't do that is because we don't have slaughter facilities. Well, 
if I could even get a slaughter space where I could get it butchered and frozen and put in brown boxes, they would then have to find a way to get it from where I live to where they are. Now, in the winter, that would be easy. Bring a pickup. It's frozen outside. Throw it in the back. You drive. It's perfect to do. In the summer, you've got to keep it refrigerated. So maybe this people is something are willing to pay the, the freight cost, man. People are willing to pay the freight, it, and and you could have it. Find some guy that'll do it in the back of a Schwan, old Schwan truck. Hey, and maybe that's the thing. Maybe this is a new employment, a jobs opportunity. Hell yeah, is it is beef you, straight, straight, straight and, beef delivery. And everybody, if you do this delivery right, nobody has to touch whatever's going on here, right? It but imagine be- if, what if it's me, and then you look and somewhere over there, there's another guy who is. Uh, maybe a hundred miles closer, but you could buy from him and his, you, that's what you say. You distribute that network and then everybody has access to an immediate beef. That's they just right. got to work out and the slaughter. So there's a website. Called, I mean, that's when you, when I couldn't get it from you, I went out and got it myself. Right. So I, mm-hmm. uh, I, I want to look this name up here, but I found this, um, this company that would send me a bunch of beef and chicken and like, it was expensive, but it's <laughs> tastes great. And I, now they're my well, friends. I got a question. If it, if if I hauled a live cow to you, would you kill it and butcher it like in your backyard? I'm not like going the ulti- to. No, no, no. The ultimate experience. If you could, because think about it. People don't have anything to do, but imagine if they could learn, watch YouTube videos, get all excited, get all their tools, because this is like a, a new sport, like home slaughter. And then I bring the animal, we knock it in the head, and then you somebody takes it and strings it up, and then you could have at home slaughter and then you'd go immediately to your freezer just like they used to do back in the 50s the same as the people that are doing craft beer yeah kind of like that why not why not have why not have because of the waste hobbies because of the terrible waste that would come with that i mean those animals have a significant amount of blood you have a lot of stuff you're throwing out there like people don't keep things clean like you like i mean i'm not saying regulate them but people like if i told my wife that I was gonna slaughter a pig in the back in the backyard. You just you're living in a dream, Jared. This isn't gonna happen. But I like the I like where you're going. Uh, you get hungry enough, it will. <laughs> uh, you know, I may need to start doing these podcasts at night like this all the time. I this is uh, this is a lot of fun. So let's go back to coronavirus stuff because. It's not just coronavirus, but the oil prices, like other things are going on in the world right now, actually Mm -hmm. have a significant impact on on people raising cattle right now. You were telling me about it. Mm -hmm. I got another friend, Brian Mose, up in North Dakota. He's got this exact problem. But describe the ethanol problem going on right now. Yeah, well, it started today with me because we're having a hard time getting uh, future shipments of DDG cubes, which for people that don't know, DDGs are a byproduct of – of the ethanol industry they're just basically you get ethanol the straight stuff that goes in your gasoline then you also get a uh just a byproduct that's basically like mash left on the bottom of those of fermenters that then it's dried out and it's called distiller's grain anyway that could be made compressed into a cube which we use to feed our cattle out on range to stimulate the rumen with protein which then enhances their ability to make use of the grass and sends it further uh, has to do with forage resource and grazing and all this stuff. So essentially, that's a very necessary ingredient that we have that we've gotten very accustomed to using. And it's been relatively cheap. It's worked. It's been affordable. It's a very uh, – it was just a great product. But now that we see that 
with I don't think uh, most Americans no, have any no. idea what's going on with oil at all. No idea. Well, the, the the problem with oil now is is twofold. You have before all this started, you kind of had an oil war, oil war between Russia, Saudi Arabia, and and really America kind of is caught in the crossfire because basically they dumped all the oil on the world, and now you started having that. Then you had the double whammy of, oops, nobody's driving, and then nobody's driving anywhere in the world, and oil demand has just went down to nothing. And they're not flying. You know, there's just right? nobody. Like they're they're going to run sixty percent less flights out of my airport. That is fuel, fuel, fuel. Yeah. So you start to get this. Build up, you start to get this. This is where we get into supply chain derivatives that are going to really mess with people. You start to get in. Okay, there's a buildup of oil, so then people aren't driving, so we don't need the additive ethanol. Well, then ethanol plants start to shut down. Now they still use some, but we don't. You know, we've our stockpiles are getting big, so now this very necessary thing that you might need, you know, ethanol or oil or all these energy things that the world still works on, there's an abundance because because of the shock to the system. Now, if we come out of this and we all of a sudden say, oh, we need all this stuff, all that shit's offline because guess what? You've, you've stopped it. You've choked it out. You know, so it takes yeah, a little while Yeah, because people don't understand, like, refineries shut down. People go home. Literally, they don't have jobs. They, they, yeah, there's, there is somewhere in there is literally a valve that is turned and the oil flow stops going through it. So now, I don't know if they actually so, shut completely down, but they basically are, are done. And this relates both to uh, coronavirus and just the regular world. I mean, this would be going on right now without coronavirus. And then you couple that with the fact that you could start shutting these things down and you don't know what kind of wobbly effects coronavirus is going to have on refineries or shipping or any other number of things. Yeah. Yeah. And and I brought this. I think I shared this with you in a text and I'll bring it up here. Um you have to look at the people that are deemed essential almost as disposable in a way by society because you need those people to be out there making all that stuff work. And society has kind of said, well, you are, you know, it, it's like they tell this huge story. Everybody stay inside because it's dangerous. Don't expose yourself. Stay in, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's very, very much a, a real thing. Stay inside. But the people that need, like, have to go to work to make the food, to, you know, make food. I literally make the food in a carryout restaurant. People that, you know, are doctors, policemen, firemen, the people that are deemed essential, they actually still have to go to work and do what they have to do within the context of now they're out with, you know, this supposed boogeyman flying around. So it's a weird dichotomy how you, how that is, how you have essential, but could also be deemed disposable because you need those people on the front line for society to function and still be able to come through this. I mean, I had a real problem at my house and that is that, um, I got geothermal, uh, installed and then I got these, um, wells drilled out in my front mm -hmm. yard. And because of that, the ground mounded over and you don't want to like mash it down until after you've gone through a, a winter and then a spring. So it freezes and mm -hmm. then thaws and it comes down. But I needed to get that thing leveled out because water was being trapped between that trench in my house and coming in my basement. Mm -hmm. Right, so I got to yep. get this fixed. And if I wait for the rains in St. Louis, that could be real bad. It could be real expensive. It could cause all kinds of problems in my basement. So I'm like, I need to find somebody that can do this. And there was a guy a couple houses down doing um, uh, like bobcat work, um, skid mm -hmm. steer work. And uh, I just went over there and was like, hey, what would it cost for you to do this for me? And he was this uh, Mexican guy, I think. And uh, as opposed to Guatemalan or Nicaraguan or something. And uh, he came over and he was like, 
$200. He could have mm-hmm. said $1,000 and I'd have been like, I'll pay it. Like I, yeah, I would have paid anything to have it because there was no way I was going to get on the phone and be able to call somebody to come down and do that. Yeah. Well, that's where you're going to get into like real, you know, the, okay. The thousand dollars would have been what you paid if you would have actually got a hold of someone to come out and fix it for you. But the guy who was running the skid steer probably would have got like 50 bucks. Well, right now that guy just got 200 bucks. That's right. Of 50. That's exactly and he, right. He, he quadrupled his wages by bypassing because you and him were connected. So this is the middleman that it, the the magic of we'll lose a whole bunch of people in the middle, but we'll gain a whole bunch of new things that'll be just cool as hell that and nobody was, ever thought about. Like, like I felt nothing delivery service man. I, mean, I, I I feel nothing but respect for delivery service people because there are a lot of people sitting in their houses, including myself, and these people yeah. are saying, "Now is my chance to make some money." And I will tip them whatever they want, you know, like they don't ask for it. But like I try and go way beyond because I'm like, thank you for doing this service. Thank you for being one of the people that wants to come out and take some risk, but is getting stuff done. I'm grateful to them. Well, now, and the the weird thing is a little bit that I found is a lot of these things that you think would be real busy from the people I've talked to, like delivery services. They're like, no, we're not real busy. You know, it's like people have kind of shut down. I think that's one of the biggest problems that I'm, I see with the economy. Is, wait, 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 is, wait, wait. What do you mean people think they aren't? If I want to get delivery for my grocery stores right now, it used to be I could put it in and two hours later I would have my groceries. Now, if I put in an order this morning, Tuesday morning, I will not get something mm-hmm. until Sunday night. So that takes longer? Oh, my God. It takes almost a week now. If I want to get it delivered, it takes a week. Whereas before it was two hours. But you know what's funny? It's probably it probably explains it because out here the bottleneck doesn't exist because people I think people were probably a little more stocked up in that. I what do you think about that? When you saw the first runs on on supplies because they're they've been replenished. I mean, is there are there no, places still I out mean, of food? It's, it's not that they're out of food. It's that they're limited quantities of things. So and people go and then they buy a whole bunch of it up. Now, I think on some of the things they've caught up on because people are only going to eat so much bread, you know, but mm-hmm. there like there are a lot of things. And I think one of the things that this whole thing has uncovered is people in America don't know how to cook. So they uh-huh. buy the packaged, processed, created foods, which is why you that's a whole nother added component of the supply chain that you have to keep going, which is yeah. it, like and if you don't. I think Americans right now, some of them are learning to cook and taking the time to cook good, healthy food, and some of them are eating junk food. And we're going to watch who waddles out and who who runs out, really. You know what I thought was funny is is about day seven or something, day eight, kind of into like the first after President Trump said, okay, here's the day two weeks from now. So that's the reference point. But like day seven or nine, you go to the grocery store and people are still kind of pretty good about walking around then and you were you weren't running out of fresh vegetables and those kind of things you were running out of shit like cereal because it was like we have to eat and that's all some people can eat i mean and it's and you know it it's really the first time in america's existence outside of maybe the 1920s breadline experience so obviously no not hardly anybody is alive today that experienced that but americans are getting a dose of you can't get what you want. And that's a little, I think it's been a, a little bit of a bitter pill to swallow 
or it's it's becoming one maybe you know and maybe that's a central component of what the american dream is but you can't see the dream if you've been living in it for so long right like i think you're i think you're exactly right i think people didn't realize how good we had it i mean and, and self included i'm not castigating anybody yeah, i'm I mean, saying that that's why travel and those kinds of things getting out is really helpful because when i went to the peace corps and i was living in rural africa there's all these things that you're like oh my god I never I never thought about the fact that having running water at your house means you can take a bath or you can move your feces from inside the house to outside the house and you don't oh, have yeah, to go to an outhouse. Like you just don't think about that stuff now because it's been so central to your life. Yeah. Well, and that's a, that's one of the big things that I think has happened with in the last I heard somebody, I mean, you know, you hear, you read so much and your brain gets so full of stuff, you forget where you found it, but something to the effect that since 1950 or 60, America has kind of been put on, like the, the leaders are essentially just theater actors because there hasn't been anything that they have, like since the wars ended, there, our government really doesn't do anything. It doesn't really protect us from stuff. And so, you know, we have a war every now and then, but for the most part, the people who are in power are just whoever can placate the biggest group the most. Like there wasn't much substance to the people running government. And you know what? I think it's because the Cold War that the government used to keep themselves, you know, like, look, we're really important. You really need us because we're in, you know, we're fighting tooth and nail with the with the commies over in Russia. After a while, all of these different fights that we were in, but we never actually got in because at this point people have nuclear weapons. Like we lost mm -hmm. that sense of like, oh, thank God they're building fallout shelters and they're doing these things for us. And you couldn't get the entire country to rally around climate change the way that you could get them to rally around the Russians are evil. And uh, mm -hmm. it, it definitely our country was moving apart because these guys were saying one thing was important and these guys were saying something else was important. But now everybody is focused on this thing is really important. And I think the biggest yeah. surprise to me is how quickly people came to accepting government force in this in this circumstance yeah well we're all, we're all living the same soap opera right now that's that's the weird thing is we're living in in mass and in the it's really it's kind of like when you're herding cattle you know if you if you if the entire group was wild or are wild it's very hard to contain them because you might get you know, if there's a hundred, you might get 25 going in one direction and then 75 who are still crazy as shit take off the other way. So containing a, a herd of animals in, in a sense is very hard to do if all of them are crazy. Now, if just one or two, you control that one and then all the other ones follow it. So you, you don't, if they're just isolated, um, incidents of wild animals it's then you could gather them pretty easy you just control the crazy one now if they're all tame and easy you just wave some food and they walk right in behind you and that's essentially where we're at with society is whoa <laughs> we man you know you don't you don't have uh you, all you do is you wave a little money a little food and everybody comes running so I we've mean, lost we've lost our ability to be wild. We're, we're still animals, and and I think what we're doing is people are living, and people are going to get a little feral, which probably needs to happen. So they have a true understanding of of a recognition of where they where they stood in life before this. What does it look like to get a little feral? You live by your own rules. That you basically you know 
provide the best you can for your family and don't uh, you, I, you survive. I think and the book I think that survival. I I think the book that I have read that that has changed my life the most in in I mean I would say maybe in my life just that it was like a wake up thing before coronavirus happened was um, the undiscovered self by Carl Jung. And in this book, he talked about a thing that you actually told me about that I needed to do to change in my podcast. So you at one point told me like, Vance, you have to show your shadow a little bit more. Like people mm -hmm. need to understand that the public persona You're that you put on is not the yeah. same as like the guy that got you here and the guy that got you here yeah. got in some trouble. And that's what I started exploring, right? The part that gets mm -hmm. you in trouble is the part that gives your soul weight. And I think that yeah. when you run into deprivation, you can either enforce, impose that on yourself, have discipline, or the world will impose it on you. And then you'll find out you weren't ready. And then you'll learn it from that circumstance. And uh, I think right now we're about to find a whole bunch of people. Yeah, you, you just just what your phrase there just described America. You're, you, you're going to get all ready and find out you're not ready. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. I have been surprised at how much and people are blowing off steam. So it's but I am very mindful of what food we buy, what food we store, what food we eat in what quantities. And my wife is pregnant, so she can have whatever she wants. But I really think about what I put in my grocery basket now and what I eat because I'm thinking I want to be as healthy as possible. And there are there is. I'm not saying that we are going to have instability, but in my lifetime, there's never been a point where there was potential for more instability than right now. So I think about, do I really want to eat this now or do I want to make sure maybe I have it for tomorrow or the next day? Maybe I'll save mm -hmm. it for tomorrow. Well, and we've, I think we've all kind of entered a scarcity mindset, which is, is what it is. But, I don't think everybody you know, has at, our at house. all. I don't, I think, you know I think, think, no, mm -mm, no, no, no. I think well, we, we're very much that way. You, you, you. You make the food that you need and and you eat everything. You don't waste it. You don't be wasteful. If you get something out, you drink it all or you drink water. You you, It's a very basic primitive thing, but it's essentially survival 101. Like get some resources. You might need some food. Get some ammunition. You might have to shoot something. When you know, did you start purchasing things? When did you start purchasing things because coronavirus was around and you wanted to make sure you had it? January, I'd say January, early February, we were kind of, it was in the news and we talked about it and then we might go to Sam's and buy some extra stuff. Not, nothing out of the ordinary because with a large family and we also live very rural, isolated. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm seven miles from my local town, basically 25 from the, the big town with 13,000 people where there's the Walmart and all that. We're, we're pretty isolated. So we already buy in bulk so it's not a huge transition for us to to have some extra supplies on hand but but we were mindful of it and started early so by the time it arrived we actually looked around and kind of said we're basically we're ready for it you know it was it was a welcome it's like oh well something we actually prepared for happened so yeah i i, I started taking it serious in the beginning of march so that, and, but really? when I started taking it serious, I mean, you were around, I started telling you guys, mm -hmm. I'd love to go back and figure out who was the first one of us to start mentioning it and talking about it because I, for a while ignored it. Cause I was like, Hey, I got to get on planes and I got to go travel. And, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. And I mean, I, I, I had noticed it when I was, 
when I had a big trip in Canada, um, start going, I mean, if you'd have told me back then, just at the beginning of March, the border between the can between Canada and the U S will be guarded and you will not be able to cross freely uh, across it. I would have thought you were an insane person mm-hmm. and that's happened. Well, yeah. And, and I think that really everybody, for the most part, people are pretty much in shock. I think that it's still kind of that dream phase and people are starting to realize, oh, life is starting to really change. And and some of it's starting to come back to normal. I don't know that – I think it's still a matter of everything is so new and so many things are changing and so many new rules are being written. Like you got to watch because there's probably a lot of bad shit getting written in the law just like there was in the last panic. I mean, you know, that stuff accidentally and intentionally. I'm not, you know, it's just a function of, of crisis and chaos. Yeah, that's I mean, all that is. I, I, so I have an opinion about uh, people going to churches during uh, coronavirus and I want to just all articulate it and then I'm interested to see what you think of it. And, uh, you know, don't don't hold back, you know, <laughs> don't pull any all punches. Right. No problem. With the with the coronavirus, I want public health officials to be able to issue the strongest warnings possible. The thing that says, hey, everybody, this is a very big deal. You should have your employer feel empowered to not make you go to work. Uh, you should feel empowered to stay in your home and separate from other people. Everyone should know that sports games should be eliminated. But when you start saying, as a government, this is the phone number to call us if you see people gathering to worship in in groups either either at all or in groups of 10 or more, you are crossing a line that is the First Amendment. And if people yeah. want to make the choice to um, surround themselves with other people and be close to other people. I recognize that, that that puts more people in danger, but on some level, people have to be able to make that choice. Cause that's the first amendment, the right to, the right to assemble the, you know, the, the right yeah. to, to gather and have speech. I, I don't think this is a good plan at all. I don't think we should be doing that at all. Yeah. Well, you run into, and, and I may be butchering this, but Jordan Peterson would talk about, uh, the, in Russia, whenever they would, I believe it was Russia, where the people would could go and say, "Well, this person is is not uh, faithful to the party," and then that person would disappear. Do you remember what it it, it was a Gulag Archipelago? Oh yeah, yeah, book? yeah, yeah. That's um, it's not Victor Frankel. Um, it's uh, I I know the book. I read the book. Um, and it was horrifying. I got to a certain point on well, a plane. But, I wanted to throw up. I was. You're right, though. The the informers. But think about it. If if you had, if you knew someone who wasn't doing what was good for everybody, what do you do? You tell on them, and then that becomes a weapon. I mean, it becomes, it will become if it stays that way in society. It could become a weapon. Now, there's also the reality of this is just a freak out weird time where group gathering in groups just happens to maybe be dangerous. So for a, a a bit of time, you have to give common sense to people who say don't do this. You know, I think you give credence to the idea that okay, let's do this for a while. Once the social Wait, distancing, so are you may saying if there's if if people are doing it, should the police officer be able to stop by there and break it up and send everybody home? I think at this point, the police officers are going to be like, yeah, good luck with that. We're not going to go to that and break up a public gathering because guess what? That police officer has to do. He has to go in the middle of a crowd and and move them away. Like bullshit. He's going to be like. 
Look, if these people all want to get sick, I guess they're all going to get sick. Like that's how it's well, going to be. Well, that's why Cuomo. Whether or not it's when, supposed to be. That's what's going to happen. When I when I they're saw it, be like, die if you if you have together and you get this, then that's on you. Which honestly is kind of a pretty libertarian principle. If you really want to get down to it, and a society would say, enter society at your own risk. Now think about that. Then it would truly we would start to really get a marketplace value on risk because then people would say. There's no government telling me not to do it. There's either I have to weigh in my own mind the risk of going out. Now, the people that go out are probably not going to be real smart, and they're probably going to infect each other, and it's going to be a catastrophe. Well, because at the end of the day, how are you going to force the people that are working to pay for the people that aren't? you got to have you got to have somewhere along the line, people that are doing work make the decisions. You, you better go read some Ayn Rand, I guess. That's that's the that's kind of the basis of theirs, the, the producers, you know. And I I don't know. I think that I think that there's humanity in it. I think nobody that raises food or, or is an essential worker, nobody feels disposable. Nobody thinks that like they're not going to deprive their human their fellow man of of, of food if you had to, you know, within families and, and communities. I, like that's not gonna happen to the best ability that people are humans. I now I can the reality tell you, is is if if the world keeps if the world stays at its current pace where everybody's locked down and a whole bunch of people aren't working, then you've got to have a philosophical discussion of are we really going you know, whose time is valuable? Are is the time of somebody sitting there watching Netflix who says, I need to get paid my wages? Well, maybe you need like you need subsistence wages where you can buy some food and some water and a few nice things or whatever, but you don't you don't need to make sure that the car that's in your garage that is not being used for society make sure that that payment goes like the, there will be a point of essential and non-essential capital allocation if you want to get to it i mean and that will be decided by society but i think that there's so many levels that's of this truly that socialism really if, if you do any of that that's that that line ends up becoming how much of the responsibility is borne by the state borne by the workers and how yeah. much do you get to just take from them because like well i think I think that it, it will have to be a defined line of not, not even it won't be like a, hey, that this day forward, this is what my value is, you know, but there is a point in time whenever, man, I don't know. What are you going to do if you raise food or you or you or protect society or doctors? Are you going to say, no, I'm not doing it because that's that's within a. I mean, I don't know what do doctors and people that like I don't have a, an oath to anything. I have an oath to my family. If I have to all shoot a cow in the yard but that's that's my existence other people you know are they going to not show up for work the essentials or the people that have to keep going to keep I, the, keep the I world i think spinning? that as long as there is a net for people they will choose to do the you know i imagine myself in this kind of john Locke state of nature there's no food and i have to shoot the deer that are in my backyard and, and hope that i don't get chronic wasting disease from it but like Outside of that, would I collect food stamps or would I go out and do lettuce harvesting on John Boltz's lettuce farm down in Yuma, Arizona? In the Arizona sun all summer long cutting out cutting out lettuce in order to make my money, I can tell you that it would be damn tempting to take some check because that work, I know how hard that work is. And that mm-hmm. is brutal work. That those people are only doing to be able to get their kids on to a better life, but they never had something better. They didn't step down to go do that work. That'll be really hard to do. 
we're all vegetable pickers now. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I you don't not. get. We're God, all vegetable pickers. I hope pickers. not, man. I, I mean, I, I hope that people well, are able to do work in, that in they... The, in the sense that you, you mentioned their their wish was to come here and, and provide a better life for their kids. In the sense... In that sense, we're all in that boat. All we want to do is, especially I think middle-aged people, is get your kids, get them through this, get them onto you know. There's a vaccine. Life goes back to normal. Treasure this time. Make it worth their time to learn something, so that when life reemerges, that they actually have an appreciation and have a better understanding, grasp of it. So, in 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 a sense, we're all that migrant worker, just trying to make a better life for our kids. So we also so we if you notice. They don't have a lot of hangups that a lot of really affluent people do because they focus on what is immediate, necessary, and most important in the in their life at that time, which we've all kind of went back to. And man, that is a great way to circle back to the very place we began, which was talking about you and your family in a time of coronavirus. And I got to tell you, man, uh, I feel a sense of uh, happiness and joy with the fact that you are isolated, at least in some regard. Uh, from coronavirus and that you're having this time with your family it's inspiring and it makes me want to spend you know my time with my wife and make sure that when we get out of the quarantine that we still think about life in this way so thank you for uh, coming on the podcast thanks for being who you are and man keep producing beef because the world needs it we're all vegetable pickers now man that's right Hey man, thanks for having me on. And I I can't say thank you enough for doing all these. This is really cool. I think it's I think one day you you know, it'll be it'll be in the stuff where they actually go back and there's a record of real conversations that happened with individuals because there's so much media bullshit that really the only way to get to it is to have real conversations like this in long form. So and I think people appreciate it. So I've seen a lot of good things out of it. It's been a joy to do. I've gotten to talk with people like you. So man. Get back to your family. Have a great night tonight, and thank you so much. We'll talk to you later. Yep. Peace. Oh, wait. One thing. If people wanted to get a yeah. hold of you on Twitter, how do they do that? And what's your podcast? At, people oh, yeah. <laughs> and you also forgot me about two weeks from now. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Two weeks from now, what's the, you ask all your guests on the, on oh, the deal. Oh, yeah, two shit. Weeks from That's now, right. What, yeah, let's not end it. <laughs> All right, okay. Yeah, uh, Jared McDaniel, just at Jared McDaniel. Uh, the podcast is Ag Uncensored. You can get that. Go to iTunes. It's just Ag Uncensored, all one word. Um, it doesn't exist. You have to type it. Um, and now let's uh, much, uh, let me ask you the other question, the the two weeks question. I can't believe I didn't think of that. So, Jared McDaniel, two weeks from today, what will the world look like? It'll be enchanted uh, dystopia. I think we'll still be getting used to the idea. I think people will be much more hunkered down, but I think they'll be more desensitized to it. And you'll start to see the people who are like, screw this, I've been inside long enough. And you'll start to see that part of society emerging. And you'll also see people who are still screaming to stay at home. And and somewhere along the line, there'll be a breakthrough that uh, allows some way to test if people who had it maybe can go work. I think you'll, I think about that's going to be further out in two weeks, but in two weeks, it'll still be calamity. I think we're still getting used to the idea of a new world and, and the rules are still being written. So that's kind of where I see it. Great. Well, I hope as they're writing them, they listen to what you have to say. So we'll talk later, right. Jared. Thanks for catching me up on that. We'll talk later, man. Yep.